Time for us to check in with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. Now, Vaughn, before we talk any political stuff, I wanted to ask you about this whole concert ticket thing. Did yeah. you see the story about the cure? Yeah, yeah. No, it's pretty shocking what's going on out there in concert world. Although I draw people's attention to uh, an interview with Bruce Springsteen a little while ago in Rolling Stone. So Springsteen played Seattle recently, right at the end of February. He gives a fantastic show. I've seen him a half dozen times. And his tickets were 250 250 bucks was the low price, and $1,200 for the high-end right. prices. And, you know, he's a working-class guy, right, Springsteen, at least. That's the pose he puts on in his songs, although his income isn't at that level anymore. He gets asked about this. He said, what about it? He said, well, look, yeah, I, I know. I know some of the fans are bothered. But he said, look at the way things work in the industry. The ticket resellers are going to get $1,200 for a ticket to a Bruce Springsteen show. So it's true. We've adopted dynamic pricing, and Springsteen said, you know, <laughs> nice nice touch at the end. He said, you know, why shouldn't the money go to the band, right? That's because, you know, he pays his. He's got a big band, and he pays them very well. And the other thing he said was, you know, a little dig to Springsteen fans. He said, and hey, if you don't like the show at the end of it, get in touch with me, and I'll refund your money, right? Because he gives a fantastic show. He he's does. 73 years old, he's still doing three hours. So... That was kind of the perspective, Simi, uh, almost 40 years ago, I paid a staggering sum, $100 Canadian, <laughs> to a reseller for a ticket to go see the Rolling Stones in Seattle. And I had to drive down to pick up the ticket and drive down a second time to see the show and drive back that night because there's no way I was going to pay for a hotel. Um, I tried to find somebody that I knew who was interested in going with me. I couldn't find anybody else who was willing to pay $100. Really? No. And, and <laughs> one of my friends joked, he said, Vaughn, he said, I wouldn't pay that to see Elvis opening for the Beatles. So, <laughs> <laughs> And yet, you know what? Now, if you ask that question, people would pay 10 times that yeah. to go and see yeah. the Rolling Stones. I mean, people are willing to pay these prices. And look, I've been paying what people, my friends, regard as a staggering sum to see live theater for years. So, um, you know, it's it really is capitalism at its best or at its worst. You want to see the artist, you're going to pay for it. And the yeah. other thing, Simi, to recognize, and this is a change in the industry, the artists used to make staggering amounts of money selling records. Remember them? That's exactly them? it, yes. The this is how they make their were money now. lost leaders. They yeah. were designed to promote the sales of T-shirts and albums. Now that's how the artists make their living. So it's not surprising that they're charging whatever the traffic will bear. That is so true. And, and you bought tickets recently for a show, didn't you? I had a look at Brandy Car Carlisle. So I admire her music. I also admire the role she played uh, bringing... Uh, Joni Mitchell, back into performing. She's playing at Red Rocks in Colorado, and I've always wanted to see a show at that outdoor amphitheater. It's got to be one of the most beautiful places in the world to see a music show. Looked at the tickets, $600, so good seat down in front, $600 yeah. U.S., two tickets now, because I do have somebody that wants to go to the show with me. And I thought, $1,500 U.S.? And I kind of went, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. I'm not sure I would pay that now for Elvis opening for the Beatles. So there you go. <laughs> Full circle. Full circle with that one. <laughs> okay, let's talk about what else is going on. We'll talk about LNG here. because So there's another project yes. that has, has gotten a hurdle passed? Yeah, like two days after David Eby announced the new framework for approval of LNG projects last week. So he said, from now on, on, 
any LNG project that comes forward is going to have to be able to show up front that it'll be net zero. And two days later, British Columbia, that's just to get into the approval process. Doesn't mean you're approved, just to even go through the approval process. So two days later, last week, uh, BC's environmental approval process announced they had accepted and were going to go through the process for another big LNG project. So this is backed by the NISCA. It is $10 billion. It's a floating terminal that would be on the northwest coast in NISCA land, and the Environmental Approval Office is going to subject it to a thoroughgoing environmental approval. But, you know, uh, EB knew this was coming, Simi. Um, The NISCA met with the Premier at the end of February and gave him the undertaking that they were going to be net zero. And so that got them into the approval process. It's still a long way from saying it's going to be built. Right, but clearly people, they must have known this was coming. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, as I said, the the, the NISCA uh, sent a letter to the environmental office saying, we've already met with the premier, we've already given these undertakings, we'll now give it to you. Uh, we will be net zero. Now, net zero uh, means net zero for the terminal and the liquefaction of the natural gas, and that means the terminal will be using what is called electric drive. The gas, the natural gas comes through a pipeline. It needs to be compressed and frozen. The long-standing process has been that the plant burns some natural gas to generate the energy to do that. Electric drive means you plug into the BC hydro grid and you use BC hydro's clean green electricity to squeeze and freeze the gas. Okay. Uh, and who's partnering up for this? Who's behind uh, this? There's a Canadian company uh, and an American company. So in order to get one of these big projects approved now in British Columbia, the, the one that the Premier approved last week, Cedar LNG, is backed by the Heisler First Nation. This one's backed by the NISCA, but they've got private sector partners that will be putting up an awful lot of the money. And to get, Simi, to get any major resource development in British Columbia now, you need indigenous partners, and you should have them. The land is as much theirs as it is everybody else's. In fact, in some cases, more theirs. So that's the partnership, and that's who will be going before uh, British Columbia's environmental approval process. It's an independent process. It can take, well, it can take three years. At the very least, it takes 18 months then the investors need to decide they want if they get approval then the investors decide they need to want to go ahead and actually build it and then you have to build it and that can take a few years as well right now but this isn't smooth sailing for this particular project either is there no one of the niska's neighbors the laxqualams first nation opposes the project they called for the project to be terminated before it went into approval. So they don't even want it reviewed by environmental review. And they filed a formal protest. That protest got sent to a facilitator. The facilitator reported out earlier this year that he couldn't uh, come to an agreement with the two parties, the Lex Quilams and the NISCA. He recommended that the project go ahead into the approval process 
and the objections be addressed there. The main objection from the lax qualams is that they don't believe uh, this thing can be done without a major impact on emissions here in British Columbia. Uh, environmentalists have raised the same issue. They point out that even if the terminal, SIMI, is driven with electricity, the gas itself is being extracted from the ground in the northeast in British Columbia. That entails fracking, and that also entails emissions. So the net zero thing, environmentalists say, critics say, is just confined to the terminal itself. It isn't an overall net zero for the whole province. Okay, and how long will this approval process take? Well, I think the approval process itself, on a fast track, and these things usually don't go on a fast track, 18 months, three years is more common. Uh, And, you know, there are public hearings and submissions and objections, and, of course, the market can change in that time. So I still think we're we're some distance away from this project being up and running. The uh, LNG Canada project is scheduled to go online in uh, 2025, and it's natural gas-driven. It's dependent, however, on the natural gas terminal from the northeast, uh, sorry, pipeline from the northeast, which is still not completed, still controversial. The uh, NISCA project and the second phase of LNG Canada both depend for electric drive on BC Hydro upgrading and extending the grid so the electricity is there. And, Simi, that hasn't happened yet either, although... Again, last week, the Premier said we're going to have to expedite construction of BC Hydro's ability to deliver electricity to these places, or you're not going to be able to have a net zero. So some of these projects then, do you think, do you get the sense that they were just kind of waiting for this framework? Now they've got the framework, they can move forward. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the the market is going to be there for Canadian LNG going forward. Uh, because if we ever if we ever get these things built and up and running, uh, Canada is a as a reliable supplier around the world, yeah. and an awful lot of countries in the world are one looking for alternatives to getting natural gas from Russia, and two seeing natural gas as a transition fuel to get themselves to uh, emissions free energy in the long run. But here in BC, Simi, there's going to be a lot of demands on hydro's electricity. Uh, yeah. There's mining projects that want it, uh, electric vehicles. Um, you know, I think the New Democrats are are realizing that whatever their objections to Site C when they were in opposition, and those were real, their decision to approve the project means there will be some electricity there when Site C is up and running as planned in 2025. But the head of Hydro, uh, Chris O'Reilly, said, well, you know, there'll be a lot of demands on Site C. It could power 1.7 million electric vehicles Mm -hmm. in British Columbia if there were no other demands for its power. But, of course, there will be other demands. That is very true. Avon, thank you. Bye-bye, Simi.